Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 73rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that doesn't gamble with your money. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, and we're bumping, and we're bumping, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. Glad to be here. Have another great show lined up for you guys. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, you're fresh back from Vegas. How was your trip? Uh, it was a great time. Uh, sorry you couldn't make it. Everyone really had a good time. I played exactly two rounds of Sanctioned Magic, uh, <laughs> which was more than enough. Um, it is it is definitely turned into a convention, uh, especially so with some of the expanded offerings this year. Um, and it's really worth the pilgrimage, even if you're not really into, you know, real competitive magic there's plenty of side events to enjoy uh you know cubing was happening constantly there's edh being played everywhere um and just getting a chance to make it out and hang out with people at night is is a lot of fun um and the city is the city is exactly vegas uh and some people are going to enjoy that and some people won't but it is hard to deny that it is at least a spectacle and the dining is uh fantastic so Save your pennies now and keep an eye out for any credit cards that give you, you know, free flights or flight points if you spend enough money. Because um, I have uh, actually my fiance and I both got free flights that we earned with credit card points. It was a bonus. You only need to spend like a thousand dollars over three months, which was, you know, we did in three weeks uh, and got a thousand dollars worth of airplane tickets out of it. So, you know, stuff like that can really take the sting out of the trip um and it's a great time that's a nice little life hack did you uh, manage to get any uh hunting done on the on the show floor were you uh trying to pick out any specs and mispriced cards and what have you uh, a little bit on saturday which was already too late i went um just kind of around the room looking for engineered explosives because it had kind of dried up like friday night or thursday night uh, the ex- the masterpiece copy and found two copies out of the like 30 vendors in the room and grabbed those. Other than that, not really. Um, there was, there was just so much and you're, t- you really find that every single minute of your day is kind of at a premium while you're there. Uh, and you kind of want to spend it like hanging out and being social rather than just looking to save a couple bucks on a card. But if there are certain things you're looking to buy, it's definitely a good place to take a look at. You can haggle with people. You can make offers, especially, you know, two days into the event. Um, Cause remember this was this, the hall, they, they had like a semi hall open on Wednesday, I believe. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday was open in full force. Well, most of those dealers were almost out of money, uh, by like Friday afternoon. So like a day and a half, barely. Um, I mean, you were going, I was going up to try and sell cards and they're like, uh, we can give you store credit, but we can't give you cash because there's just none left. So if you go around on like Saturday, late Saturday, Sunday morning, you can go and make offers at dealers because they literally have no dollars left in their pocket. Um, so really good for that. Other than that, no, I didn't go digging for too much because it's very time consuming. 
even and I'm but I know people found deals. Uh, you know, some of my buddies were telling me what they wandered into, and I was like, would have been nice to find that. Yeah. The, um, I'm expecting that at the forthcoming GP Toronto will be some pretty sweet deals. Um, there's usually some mistakes made when people, uh, from, when the U.S. vendors show up and price in Canadian dollars. And I've noticed that some of the Canadian vendors that show up are usually um, are from communities that um, where their sell-through rate is significantly less, tend to put on some pretty decent sales, at least on the Friday. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out next month. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I used to love, when I went to GPs way more regularly, I used to love um scanning the room flipping through those uh those binders that might be like lp types of foils where you can you know they're really kind of like near mint um or find stuff that's mismarked in the case type of stuff uh yeah there's there's definitely some opportunity there if you want to put the time into it yeah one of the things i've noticed recently is that one of the online vendors here in canada um i realized that they hardly ever had foils i was looking for so i, I went into the shop one day and i said you know, what's up with this? Like, you know, I, I can always find the non-foil, but you never have any of the foils. And I know they're kind of old, but you guys have pretty deep inventory. And they said, oh, we've just never put those online. I was like, are you serious? I'm like, how much of the stuff do you have? They're like, oh, like cases and cases. We just don't have time to put it up. So wow. <laughs> now twice a week I go in there looking for stuff that's that's spiked and say, hey, um, do you get, how many of these foils do you have? And they're like two, three, four, whatever. Some of them are LP, maybe they're MP, but I mean, it's just easy pickings. I'm surprised that they're not just price checking every time you ask for a card well the thing is like if, if you know if it's popped a little but it hasn't been reset and they're going by scg and then scg's old price is the only thing they can reference gotcha um so engineered explosives going off was kind of interesting because it, it seemed like some of our european partners were involved in actually making that pop in europe before it popped over here <laughs> yeah that's, that's what you said the other day that was a little surprising yeah, I mean, I, I managed to nail, pin down like eight or ten copies in the like low 80s, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, market price for the card um, has moved, but maybe not to the plateau that uh, people are hoping for quite yet. Um, but because it was uh, an either Revolt uh, masterpiece and not a Kaladesh one, there are even less of it around than, say, something like the Masterpiece Soul Rings. So I don't think it's going to be too tough um, to uh, for these to hold a, a fresh plateau. Yeah, well, it's funny. I bought them on the floor on, uh, I don't know, Saturday afternoon or something and listed them online uh, immediately. Um, and by like by the time I was flying home, they had sold, but the pair had sold. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like I made like 50 or 60 bucks a copy in like 48 hours, completely fine by me. Uh, and then I got home and the guy messaged me. He's like, sorry, I thought these were the original foils. I have to return them. I'm like, God damn it. So I was all excited. I'm like, boy, that price turned around really fast, but <laughs> uh, not quite as fast as I thought. I was, I was excited because I had, I, I dodged yet another eBay bullet this week. So I had plain white enveloped a masterpiece soul ring. Um, and the- that is lunacy. <laughs> I just for all of our, I'm sorry, just for all of our listeners, don't do that. Do not do that. Listen, if I if I was in the U.S. shipping to the U.S. all the time, I would get tracking on every single thing because your tracking is very reasonably priced and it's just a no brainer. Two sixty, but it's like fifteen dollars up here to track it to the U.S. So um, my cutoff is usually two hundred to two fifty. Um, and I'm a risk taker by nature. And and it keeps working out because the card keep, cards keep showing up and people keep being honest. But I did have somebody that tried to buy two uh, Expedition Ancient Tombs from me this week that had the, the old zero feedback, zero activity on eBay um, that had purchased with a credit card, not even via PayPal. And 
Um, so I followed up with him and said, listen, like I noticed you're in Toronto. I happen to be in Toronto with the inventory working this week. Um, I will literally come to your place and drop it off and photo document the handoff so that I can report it back to eBay. And that's the only way I'm going to feel safe doing this unless you want to pay for upgraded track shipping. And they said, no, man, don't fuck around. Just like send the cards. And I was like, yeah, that's an instant. <laughs> that's an instant red flag. Cancel that order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's clearly a stolen credit card. So we had had that conversation by phone, believe it or not, because I had sent them an email to their PayPal email address and they had called me. And then I canceled it. And 10 minutes later, they called to harangue me for 10 minutes about how I had canceled the order. And I, I gave them the same options again and then hung up the phone. I don't understand. If you're buying magic cards with a stolen credit card and somebody cancels on you, why fight with them? Just go buy more different magic cards. I guess. Like, Well, I guess the thing is that it takes up space on the card, right? So it's just like less opportunity for them. I suppose. I mean, whatever. Whatever. All right. Here's our show in four segments this week. Uh, segment one is our top movers, cards that have moved the most in price. Segment two is our cards swatch, cards James and I think may rise in price. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We'll be looking at the Vegas event, both the modern and legacy GP. There was no standard, and amusingly enough, there were standard on-demand events, but they stopped firing. Channel Fireball put on a sign that said they weren't firing them because of lack of interest. And segment four, our topic <laughs> of the week. Um we have kind of a, a mixed bag here. Some late, some hour of devastation spoilers. Uh, Solemnity, in particular, um, is a pretty interesting card. So we'll talk about all sorts of that type of stuff. Let's jump in uh, at the start of segment one. Our top movers, the first card we're going to talk about this week. Uh, and before I even mention this card, I will tell you that it looks like there might have been some errors with Crystal Commerce this week. I'm not exactly sure, which can really. Um, you know, it can triple the amount of cards that look like they've risen in price because it kind of screws with with everything. Uh, so we did our best to filter it. Um, I don't know if these are all 100% accurate, but just so you know. Did, did somebody tell, uh, you, tell you that happened? No, but it wouldn't be the first time. Like, we've, oh, like two or three shows we have had numbers go nuts and it was a crystal commerce error and we knew it then yeah true i i i haven't heard anything and i don't think that's the case in fact i think most of what's on the the list that we've put together is is accurate um but for people that don't know crystal commerce is an e-commerce platform that a lot of collectible stores use including people that uh, are um, posting inventory to tcg it's an inventory management system and um, they have been notorious in the past for having issues that have led to um, tcg having to disconnect all of the crystal commerce based vendors from their system which throws tcg up into an uproar because then <clears throat> the market price uh, waivers um, quite a bit because there's just less inventory in the system to demonstrate what the true prices are um, but as far as i know that's not the case this week so tell me about grand architect yeah, so Grand Architect from Scars of Mirrodin jumped from a little over three bucks to over five, five to six. Um, not a huge jump, but definitely the start of some movement. And I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't the end of it. This is in response to Zach Elsick playing the uh, Blue Steel deck, which is essentially Grand Architect Aggro. At, excuse me, at Vegas. I know he made day two with a pretty good record. I think he finished. He finished in the top 64, but I'm not positive. But he made a pretty good run with it. Um, the deck has some interesting cards. Grand Architect was a pick a while ago. I mean, you can go back to, like, Scars of Mirrodin days. And I don't think I was... I think this is my fourth year writing. And I think that the first year that I was writing, I talked about this card. And every other finance writer has talked about this card. So this was a pickup a long time ago. There hasn't really been 
fertile ground there for a while now because the price is up over three dollars uh, but there's still some other juicy stuff in there I actually wrote an article this week on mtg price uh, which you can find some additional insight into some other cards uh, from that deck that are still worth specking on but in general i don't call this a spec at this point at six bucks a copy but i do think that there's still room to grow uh, especially if the deck does well um this is the kind of like fringe deck that has to put up results numerous times before people will buy into it like think about the way that cards matured for related specs matured for car um cards in the like lantern control deck right the first lantern time lantern control was on camera everybody had a little chuckle and just dismissed it as being you know a terrible deck or uh, a one-trick pony um and then when it had uh, won a couple of events then things changed in a hurry so what you're looking for here is for Blue Steel to show sustain um, in what is already a pretty crowded metagame full of some very good decks. Um, uh, the deck uh, showed some pretty powerful moves on camera, um, as did the Taking Turns deck um, uh, at the Modern event at the Grand Prix. And this was a big tournament. Like there was, I think, 2,500 plus people. Um, yeah, I thought at the Vegas event, something like that. 25, 28. It was bigger than. Pretty bit. 32, 32 on modern. Oh, 3264, yeah. Um, so a big deal. And, uh, you know, Blue Steel wasn't in the top 16, but it did do some solid work on camera. And, like you said, uh, a deck to watch. Um, you know, the next time it goes off might be too late um, if other people get the idea. And the inventory on this card, given its single printing, is not very deep. Um, in case you're not familiar, it's a one double blue, one three creature. Other blue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And for one blue, target artifact creature becomes blue until end of turn. And then tap an untapped blue creature you control, add two to your mana pool. So basically what they do is they make a bunch of artifact creatures, and then they turn them blue, and then they tap them for more mana and do all sorts of busted stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, so just another quick aside, this was a Zach Elsick deck. At least I should say he, he did not come up with it. Please don't yell at me. Um, and say that somebody else, your friend came up with it first. I just know that he he has tweaked it and played in a large event. But Zach Elsick is the guy behind Lantern Control. Uh, he worked on the Nourishing Shoal deck, um, the Gorgias build. So he's done some interesting stuff. The other deck that he built recently is the Dubious Challenge deck, which I know people have been chittering about a little bit. Uh, I did play that in one of the side events and promptly went 0-2. <laughs> it's a cool deck. Um but it's not quite there yet, so I would not be rushing to spec on this. Although I did find that foil dubious challenges are very hard to find. Uh, I mean, like you can buy single copies here and there, but I mean, I couldn't even really find very many sellers with a playset. Uh, and if I did, they were like four or five bucks a copy, and I could not find them kind of in bulk anywhere, which really surprised me. So there's a actually considerably fewer foils of that card out in the market than I would have guessed. I, I already complained to Saffron when he posted his uh, ver his playthrough of the deck. Uh, on YouTube last week or the week before um, that I had posted a deck within 10 cards of the list people are using now like months before anybody else um, and everybody told me I was crazy so haha -ha. um, well again I went 0-2 with the deck so we'll still jury <laughs> <laughs> is still out on that it's still janky but uh, you know People have been playing it. The um, So interesting cards in the Blue Steel deck include Lodestone Golem. I'm assuming that was in your article. And uh, Throne of the God Pharaoh, a card I've been, had my eye on since it was first revealed. Um, yeah, that is it. So Lodestone I don't love because it's been reprinted a bunch. And it was actually just in Commander 2016, too. That I thought that was going to go up in price way back in the day. Like, I think I was specking on that back in World Wake. Um, but it's never really seen enough of a growth. And now I feel like it's kind of 
supplies gotten kind of crushed. Um, but the the new one, the artifact that deals damage when you tap with your untapped creatures is, is definitely interesting. It's got some some curious application too, because you can pair that with like Cryptolith, right? Uh, which is then really interesting because it means you can devote your team to doing to not attacking, to like making Mon to do other things, and you're still getting a bunch of damage in. So that's a really interesting card with like elves too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Not clear on the best use of it, but it does seem like you basically get to use your cre- double duty for your creatures. Like they add mana and also damage your opponent. Yeah, I, I like the idea that I think it bears testing in elves. It's always tricky to find slots in that deck that for things that are not elves. Um, but Throne of the God Pharaoh, again, open-ended synergy with anything, with decks that have lots of creatures that tap a lot. So... Those are the kinds of cards I love long term. Okay. So wh- let's move on to our second card this week because we've got a long list. What do you got for us? Uh, let's burn through some of these. Uh, Necro Skitter from MM2, uh, moving from $1.50 to $3. Uh, you know, that's not the kind of thing that's going to make you any money, but it shows uh, con- sustained interest in Hepatra related cards. Okay. Yeah, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Mm, yeah, I think the foils made a move a little while back. Yeah. Um, next up, Spirit Link from Legends. Uh, this card's been printed a zillion times, but we're talking about the Legends copy. Started at like six and change, up to about 13 and change. Uh, I don't really have any reason for this other than Legends. Somebody's consistently targeting all these low cost reserve list cards, going after them on a consistent basis. And who knows? It could be Sig, it could be other people. Um, bottom line is that if you're trying to complete these sets, you should not be waiting. <laughs> Because anything and everything has shown a propensity to move over time um, that's either original printing or is on the reserve list. So you go ahead and you pick up all those $6 things now, and you're almost certainly going to have a bunch of $12 things on your hands a couple years down the road. Yeah, and Spirit Leak's not even reserve list. I wasn't kidding. There are like 40 printings of that card, although I did write reserve list on the sheet, which is probably why. Well, it's just it's uh, just the original printing. And, and because right, it's right, part, right. The original Legends printing. And if you're trying to complete those sets, you still need a copy, so... Yes. Yep. Uh, okay. What do you got next for us? Mana Echoes from Onslaught, moving from twelve dollars to thirty. This has uh, been a long-standing uh, EDH card. Um, this is the red enchantment that I believe you get a mana anytime a creature comes into play that shares uh, a type with a creature you already control. We get one for each other creature that shares a creature type with it. So if you like have this in play and then you uh, marshal coup for five so you kill all creatures and then you drop five soldiers each one of them adds uh five or four or five mana a piece i'd have to check, double check the oracle but yeah so it adds a lot other. of mana yeah 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 so it's kind of the valakut trick so it adds a lot of mana real quick especially with token producers yeah uh, and yeah, I mean, this is looks like it could be somebody gambling on the fact that this card was at relatively low supply, um, um, or it could just been a mix of you know a couple of speculators and some natural demand that's been ongoing for the card. Um, next on the list, we have Glacial Chasm from Ice Age. This is a land that's been sitting around doing nothing forever. It's usually as a I think one of in the lands deck and Legacy um, because it has a cumulative upkeep of two, and um, basically prevent reduces all damage dealt to you to zero for a few turns. But in uh, uh, combination with Solemnity, the new card from uh, uh, Hour of Des- Devastation, it basically just reduces damage to zero forever. Um, so it's gone from a dollar to three dollars, and that card could easily end up in the five to six dollar range if if uh, it catches on and say EDH is part of a so, uh, a deck that can leverage Solemnity. Yeah, and I will say the FTV copy also has one near mint copy on TCG Player right now for nine bucks. Oh, is that? And it's Doug, I believe. Is that, is that from FTV Lands? 
uh, realms, yeah. Realms. Oh, geez, I have a few of those sitting around. I'm always happy to see cards from that set go up because I'll means I'll be selling more of the sealed product. Yep, yep. So that's uh, selling on a couple places. I mean, it is Ice Age. There's a million copies of these. Um, and just so that people are clear, Solemnity does not allow, as I understand it, does not allow any counters. So it's not even like you have to pay the two life every turn for Glacial Chasm. You pay zero. Like, you don't pay any life for this, because I thought I saw it mentioned somewhere that you have to pay for the first one, but that is not true. Yeah, because I think putting um, the counters on is part of the cost or something, right? So it just, just disallows well, that from happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, the way it, the way it reads, because I found one of the cards with cumulative upkeep with a rule sex printed on it, and it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, like, add a counter and then pay the cumulative upkeep cost for each counter. But you never add the counter, so you pay the upkeep for zero counters. Yeah, it's, so. it's overriding the triggered ability or whatever. The, um, yeah, yeah. All right, so tell me about Kulrath Knight. Uh, Kulrath Knight, uh, otherwise known as Doug's Bane, uh, because he bylisted a pile of these in Vegas like hours before Slum that he was spoiled, <laughs> is a 5-mana 3-3 three, three, uh, with Wither, but it says creatures your opponents control with counters on them can't attack or block um so this jumped in response to solemnity although no 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 now no, that no, i read this scorpion god oh the scorpion god that's what it is okay because i say wait now that i read this this is not works with solemnity he did it it was he said he bylisted them hours before the scorpion god yeah so um it's because of that yeah because whenever uh, a creature with a might what the scorpion god says is it's a six five for three black red whenever a creature with a minus one minus one counter on it dies draw a card and then for one black red, put a counter, or a minus one, minus one counter on another creature. Um, and of course, all these gods from the new set, whenever they die, they go back to your hand at the beginning of the next end step, which is pretty sweet in Commander, where you don't have to pay the ramping cost all the time. Right. And it would have gone up in response to Hapatra, except that you can't play it in Hapatra. It's red. Uh, because it's red, black. Um, and the color rules in EDH are stupid, and Sheldon doesn't know how to run a format. But <laughs> beyond that, uh, we're looking at the foils that jumped from like just under four bucks. They're showing up over ten now, although I don't think there are any in stock on TCG at the moment. Uh, that's not true. Uh, t- yeah, ten fifty. You'll pay right now for a copy. So, um, so just wait till you get a Jund flavored minus one minus one counter legend down the road, right? Because then you get to pull Scorpion God and Hepatra pieces into the same deck. Boom. There you go. Boom. That's what you're waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do you got next for us? Reality Acid uh, from uh, Planar Chaos. The foils went from 75 cents to 250, which is, again, not the kind of thing you can ever make any money on. But this was in response to Solemnity because uh, it basically means that in EDH, you can destroy a permanent for two and a blue um, because the vanishing counters uh, never come off, right? So, okay. So, this is really weird. I'm pretty sure this is a mistake. Because this says when the enchantment leaves play, the the controller has to sacrifice the permanent. But the way vanishing reads, it says when the last is removed, last vanishing counters removed, sacrifice the permanent, sacrifice reality acid. But reality acid never has any counters because solemnity prevents them. So you can never remove the last counter. So you never sacrifice reality acid. You never kill the target. So I'm pretty sure that somebody bought the foils of these thinking that it was awesome. <laughs> with yeah, you're completely right. missing the fact that it actually doesn't work at it's all. It's a non-bow, isn't it? Yeah, it completely is. Right, because yeah, like, the, the card doesn't work. When reality acid leaves play, enchanted permanence controller sacks it, but it's never going to have any counters, so you're never going to sack it? Yep. That's funny. Yep. Also, yeah. So there you go. Not all specs Whoops. are smart. 
no. Uh, I have. I will, in full honesty, have certainly bought cards before. Knee jerk. In response to something, yeah. yeah. In response to something getting spoiled, then afterwards, like, oh yeah, it didn't work. Me too. I have a pile of um, Lazav, the Demir Guild leader, yeah. because uh, it was God. What one of the cards? Something got spoiled, and suddenly, like, some of the devotion stuff spiked. Um, and I was like, oh, the blue black one hasn't spiked yet. So I rushed home and bought them and then like realized it was a mistake. I don't remember why, but it was. And I still have the cards. So well, whatever. Well, this next card is actually a solid example of, of tripping over your own feet and still landing um, square where you're supposed to be. Celestial Convergence I bought some of last night uh, and then immediately decided it was a non-bow with Solemnity because <laughs> I somehow got it into my head that um, it, that Cards that came into play with counters um, on them were immune from it. I don't know why I, I got that into my head. I think I saw some chatter on Twitter or something. And so I bought a bunch of foil and non-foil Celestial Convergences at a re- very reasonable price and then went on Twitter and said, wait, is this a non-bow? And everybody reassured me that it was actually fine. Um, so basically what this thing is, is it's from Prophecy, a set that doesn't have a lot of hot targets. Um, two and two white. It's an enchantment. It comes into play with seven omen counters, but solemnity uh, makes sure that never happens. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, you remove an omen counter, which you no longer have. And if there are no omen counters on it, the player with the highest life total wins the game. So if you have solemnity in play and you've got more life and you play this, you win. And everybody in EDH says boo and then kicks you out. Yeah, this is if this had like vanishing or whatever, which is what it really should have had uh it wouldn't work but because it's before that templating it does work so congratulations yeah i'm I'm dumber than i know yes next on our list is captain sisay from invasion both um foils non-foils and the legends copies moved the invasion copies jumped from five to supposedly 20 um market price is still 750 i'm seeing copies at like 15 three copies on tcg at like 16 bucks right now um so i don't know if this has really moved yet the ftv copies are showing has moved to like 50 but there's no way anyone's going to pay for those uh but the price did probably move um supposedly as best as we, james and i can tell this is in response to the leaked ixalan sheet uh, which shows that Planeswalkers are now legendary. Um, prior to this, they have essentially uh, been forced to deal with a legendary rule. In other words, you can't own more than one. However, they did not have like the legend, the characteristic of being legendary. But now Captain Sisse can search your card for a legendary card, which will now include Planeswalkers. So like Captain Sisse and other cards that specifically reference legendary cards or cards with a legend uh, super type uh, will work with Planeswalkers, whereas they didn't before. So that's where this is coming from. And real quick side note, because I said it out loud, now I'm thinking about it. It is pronounced Ixalan. When it was spoiled, everyone was like, oh, it's Ixalan. And then a couple people are like, no, it's Ishalan because the axis pronounces a CH in the Mayan dialect. And everyone, and those of us who listen are like, oh, okay, it's Ishalan. I get to be sound pretentious and correct people. But Melissa DeTora confirmed for me at Vegas that it is indeed Ixalan, probably because they knew people would say Ixalan no matter what it was supposed to be. So they just kept that, it. Ixalan. That Americans can only pronounce their own syllables. Yes, that's probably what they thought in the marketing department. So Captain Sisse, for people that don't know, is from Invasion Block. It's a two green white legend for... Uh, 2 2. Um, and you can tap it to search your library for a legend or a legendary card, reveal it, and put it in your hand. So, this basically, once planeswalkers um, gain the legendary type, 
um, starting in the fall means that you can tap to tutor up a planeswalker in EDH, which is bonkers cakes. And I'll say that it's kind of weird that they're that they're feeling the need to update planeswalkers in this way, given that it's not an issue in any format, other than that it now becomes uh, more feasible to play planeswalkers in EDH because you can have multiple versions of Gideon, for instance, in the same deck and play them alongside each other now that they're legendary. Well, so there's a couple, I have a couple ideas here. The less exciting one is that occasionally they update the rules to be a little cleaner, even if there isn't like a direct impetus for it. Um, and because Planeswalkers essentially play by the legendary rule, but weren't legendary, it was sort of odd. But so that's, that's like one option, but the other option, and I don't know for sure, maybe this has already been proven wrong, but maybe they're trying to open the door to all Planeswalkers being viable commanders and rather than change the commander rule to say like legendary creatures or planeswalkers they're just going to say any legendary permanent and now by rotting planeswalkers to all be legendary permanents you can now play planeswalkers as your commander in a future uh commander rules update so that is a possibility down the road um which would open the door to a lot of other things happening uh that would cause us to really have to reevaluate all planeswalkers from ground zero from scratch basically uh definitely makes me want to take another look at uh jace friend's prodigy um well he's already playable though because he's a creature sure okay that's true so maybe jace the mind sculptor (laughs) is that is that that a viable commander so here's the thing about jace people there's been a lot of nickel bolus karn i mean there's some and like there's there's several options out there that are definitely playable mm-hmm. the um although i would say that there's so many that the attention would be scattered even if that was the case so it'd be hard for one one particular spec to take off super hard unless it seemed like an amazing commander and i haven't spent any time thinking about this so i'm not going to hazard a guess as to who that would be um clearly tibalt will be the most popular <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah, you know you're you're, you're, you're just last, one last thought on that you're completely right most planeswalkers are actually not great in edh because they're too narrow uh but and they can get attacked as opposed to creatures but there are probably at least one or two i think that would fit better into a multiplayer game that would uh be much more with sand heads and shoulders over the other ones but you're right i don't have any names either because i haven't really looked it up yet mm-hmm. interesting yeah time to do some research uh, always be willing to admit what you don't know. That's the that's the best rule of finance. So Hickory Woodlot from Arcadian Masks. The foils have popped twice now. I suspect somebody is targeting them, trying to keep them at a higher plateau. They went from a dollar to four. They did that again four weeks ago. Um, the, the assumption here is that people are going to run this in Atraxa, where pro- the combination of getting a counter every turn and or proliferate effects will make these lands uh, quasi-playable. Um, I've got some of these sitting around. I would love for this plateau to set up shop and stay there. Um, and I suspect that there is not a tremendous amount of inventory, um, but also just not all that much demand. Um, so I wouldn't be getting too excited about this. Um, Vadia Ildal from Time Spiral Block. Uh, the foil's moving for 450 to 19. That's almost certainly a Hapatra move because by making things have one toughness by tapping Vadi, um, you basically set them up to die from minus one, minus one counters. Uh, tell me about Reki. Reki is a green creature from uh, Saviors of Kamigawa. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, draw a card. Um, so as best as we can tell, this is in response to the Planeswalker rule change, because now you will draw cards for casting Planeswalkers 
this seems terrible to me because like how many times are you casting legendary casting planeswalkers in a game and drawing those cards like it seems like a real stretch i think somebody went to like magic info and just plugged in the you know show me all cards that say legendary in the rules text and picked out anything that looked remotely playable in any case i would be dumping these as fast as you could if you actually have them it looks like the price has already fallen to uh, just just over five dollars shipped on tcg and i bet that keeps falling to almost where it was before because it doesn't actually get any better i don't know captain sicily gets to pull a planeswalker out of your deck every turn right and then it's like it draws a card when it comes in that seems all right well like Sure. I mean, if you have if you have Sisse and Reki working, but like when you're casting, if you're tutoring a Planeswalker and casting it every turn, do you really need the card draw from Reki anyways? That's more about Sisse being useful than Reki. Well, there's, when we talk about one of my picks for the week, I'll go into deeper about how there's some other cards that provide cross-card cross, cross synergy. Um, so anyway, Caustic Caterpillar from Origins, the foils going from 50 cents to 250. Is that a popper play? Uh, I don't think so. I believe this is because it's sort of like a... I don't know how under the radar it can be, given that it's on our radar, but this is like a best-kept secret under the radar EDH card um, because it's really good uh, artifact and enchantment removal. It's a little pricier than some of the other options. It's one to play the creature and then two to sack it, but you can tutor easily with um, things like whether it's Green Sun Zenith or... um, survival of the fittest and stuff like that and it's cheaper than a lot of the other creatures that destroy artifacts and enchantments like conclave naturalists uh but also it's easily recurrable so with like carador and that type of thing um so basically it's just very useful to have this that ability on a creature body um because you can it's a little more accessible and i believe that that's why we've seen the foils empty here um you know the the cheapest copy now is like two bucks on channel fireball which is not actually that expensive but it's just the card was like the pit foils were 40 or 50 cents before this so it's a pretty big jump i don't expect this to really rise much especially because i can see them bringing this card back in standard um so you know if you have them i mean maybe i, I don't even know if you can get rid of them because no one's gonna buy a play set anyways i don't know i think this is a nobody actually made money on this card type of thing yeah on the other hand uh our own rachel agnes Baytog uh showed off a a uh, picture of herself holding a full grip, like seven or eight drop of honeys. Uh, our biggest mover of the week from Arabian Nights moved from $75 to a theoretical 400 The uh, The market price hasn't caught up on that on TCG. So this will now be a, a question of where it can actually set up shop at a new plateau, whether it's 150 250 300 who knows. Um, it's a reserveless card. Uh, it's not super, super useful in most of the formats where it's played. It, where it is played, it's usually played as a one-of. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's in that same class of cards like Jism Jin, where the overall power level of a card may not be as important as its age. Yeah, I saw this spike and I'm like, do I want to go look for these? I'm like, mm, no, no, I'll leave this for somebody else. I didn't, it's not reliable enough for me. Yeah, I mean, the, if the supply stays super low and the market can't find copies, then the plateau is going to be higher. If the if people realize, oh my God, 400, I'd be happy to sell it for two, then they're going to flood back in and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I suspect that's what we're going to see here because who actually needs drop a hunting? Play periphery nodes for a dollar. <laughs> well, we can at least partially blame Rachel. So if you guys want to send her hate <laughs> mail, go for it. Sure. Um, okay, so segment two, our cards to watch. James, what is your first card for us this week? All right. So on this topic of Planeswalkers becoming legendary in EDH and being good with Captain Sisse and potentially Reki, 
Um, Thalia's Lancers is the card from EM uh, Eldritch Moon that is a 4-4 for 5 that lets you search up a uh, legendary uh, card from your deck, um, which seems like it's going to be pretty good in any build that is searching up legendary Planeswalkers. Sure, that seems fair. I don't, uh, I don't dislike that. It is useful that it can tutor all of those. I mean, notably, it doesn't search up a legendary creature. It searches up a legendary card. Um, so assuming that... Uh, this is uh, this whole thing about the planeswalkers becoming legendary is the real deal. Then Lancers is you know a four four first strike with serious upside, um, and I think that as you're pulling that deck together, what you're looking for is to have um, multiple layers of synergy, that, and you also want redundancy across multiple copies of cards. One of the things that caught my eye is that they've revealed this other card um, from Hour of Devastation that is called. It was in German, but let me get the translation. It's a 4-3 for 3 and 2 white uh, legendary creature human warrior with vigilance, Dejeru the Purified. And this one lets you search your library for a Planeswalker card and put it into your hand. And if a source would damage deal damage to a Planeswalker, you control, prevent one of that damage. All of these cards we've been talking about in this context all fit into a tracks of Planeswalkers um, and provide some pretty good card advantage. That is interesting. And, you know, the, if Planeswalkers become viable in EDH like that, that certainly makes this, I mean, I, I shouldn't say viable, more viable, I guess, certainly makes this um, considerably more interesting there as well. I mean, it definitely. the Tracks of Planeswalkers is still already a very real deck, right? But Thalia's Lancer Foils, um, because it was a media promo, like a buy box promo, um, they're commonly available for about two bucks. Um, it's going to take a while for inventory to drain out, but I find it hard to believe that this card won't have a future in, in a variety of EDH decks that will eventually drain that inventory. I think you're probably sitting on these for a couple of years, but these could easily go from $2 to $10 eventually. Okay, I like it. I think it's reasonable. Um, all right, my first card this week is uh, Undead Warchief. I'm looking at the foils. Uh, they're available in Time Spiral. That's a time-shifted card. And the original is in Scourge. Um, they're basically the same thing aside from the set symbol. Um, you can pick these up for six and change right now. Um, but I think these are easily a $15 foil. Undead Warchief is a four-mana... Uh, technically he's a two one, but he gives all your, uh, zombies plus two plus one. And it's not other zombies that include him too. Um, so he's technically like a three, two, but he makes all of your zombie spells cost one less, uh, which is obviously very useful if you're playing deck with zombies and he pumps them all with two power. So in general, just a very useful card with zombie decks. Uh, there is very few foils out there right now. We're getting another dump of tribal commander decks later this year. Um, frankly, I'm kind of surprised the foils are on this are as cheap as they are, especially because um, the non-foils are still already not like expensive, but like the market price on non-foils is like five or six bucks. Um, so foils aren't really that much more than the non-foils. I think this has just kind of been slept on. Yeah, I can buy all that. Uh, totally reasonable pick. All right, so my next pick this week is one of several cards that was pointed out as being something that could potentially combo with Solemnity. Um, we should point out what that card actually does in case people haven't been uh, paying attention. This is the white enchantment coming out in Hour of Devastation um, that is uh, two and a white. Uh, players can't get counters. Counters can't be put on artifacts, creatures, enchantments, or lands. Um, it sounds innocuous, but when you start thinking about how many interactions this impacts in the game of magic over its 25 year history, um, you're going to get confused and befuddled in, in a hurry. Um, it does all sorts of crazy things like, uh, 
turning off infect completely. Nobody can get poison counters anymore. It happens to counter the uh, devoted druid combo in modern because devoted druid as part of its cost um, to untapping needs to put a minus one minus one counter on itself. And if it can't do that, then it can't combo off. Um, it impacts cards like hanger backwalker and walking ballista and makes them fairly useless. It uh, is a two card combo with kitchen finks, right? Uh, or is it the cards that uh, Kitchen Fix dies, it comes back with a minus one, minus one counter, so that can't happen. So it just keeps coming back as a 3-2 and gaining you life, yes? Yeah, it replaces uh, like Malira and Anafenza as the enabler in the um, Persist Sack enabler combo that we see in uh, Cord or in Collected Company. Decks. Right, and then there's the Undying cards that were, when they died, they came back bigger, right? Um, th- this basically makes them... Uh, even worse or better depending on what angle your deck's coming from because if you were trying to make them bigger and that was your goal that never happens because they just keep coming back at their original size but if you just wanted to um put them into some kind of infinite combo where you're cycling through them that works right yes yep and as far as we know this is the first time that a card kind of enables both persist and undying uh Undying cards, yeah. So Phyrexian Unlife is the card, of course, that'll add nauseum that usually gives them the breathing space to go off. Um, that uh, says it's also two and a white for a white enchantment. You don't lose the game for having zero or less life. As long as you have zero or less life, all damage is dealt to you as though its source had infect. Um, so because you can't get counters, this basically gives you infinite life in in uh, coordination with Solemnity. Um, okay. This card only has a single printing. Uh, it is occasionally played in Ad Nauseum, which is kind of a fringy deck in Modern right now. Um, but because it's only got a single printing and it's only $3, I could easily see this ending up in the 6 to $8 range if any amount of interest is levied upon it. Okay. I mean, I like that it's also in uh, uh, Ad Nauseum, too, um, because I own a bunch of Ad Nauseum and <laughs> I want that deck to do well. <laughs> uh, but definitely a really unique card, um, Frexian Unlife. I mean, I can see a lot of people kind of shoving this into their deck with Solemnity just to kind of get the free rolls. I do wonder if, you know, kind of on tangentially, if if Solemnity can enable a uh, a sort of pillow fort deck in Modern. We've seen people try with enchantment-based strategies in Modern, like Ghostly Prison and Sphere of Safety before. Uh, And Solemnity comboing with Phyrexian on Life to basically make you invincible is certainly another piece of that puzzle. Um, so not really like a meaningful interaction at this point uh, in terms of like caring about this card, but certainly a curious one, at least. I, I think that all of the different ways, all the different cards that interact with Solemnity profitably in Modern all happen to be in kind of green and white from what I've seen um, for the most part, or at least not all of them, but there are quite a lot of them. And that means that there are new configurations of uh, the infinite style um you know green white abzan decks that are almost certainly going to get brewed up um and i see no reason why phyrexian on life can't be a part of that given the amount of defense it provides like to find other combo pieces to finish them off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fact that they're both in the same color and they're you know both r- relatively low casting costs um means that you know something could happen the other thing about solemnity is that <laughs> foils of that card will definitely be on my radar um, because it's like the poster, we were talking about this before the cast, this is like the poster child for open-ended synergy, because not only is it a potential hate card as a sideboard card coming in against certain decks, but it can also be a main deck card if you've got ways to combo off with it. 
Okay, so definitely a lot of options in there. All right, your next pick. Um, okay, so my other card this week is uh, Lightning Greaves, and I'm looking at the Masterpiece copy in there. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of activity on the Masterpieces in general, um, Soul Ring obviously being the uh, most remarkable one so far. I think that in general, I'm a little more eager about the uh, EDH commander stripe cards rather than the playset in modern type cards. It doesn't mean that those won't move eventually. I mean, obviously we saw Chalice and Engineered Explosive see some action, but I think in terms of actually getting people to buy copies of your card, the commander ones are uh, in good shape. Um, and I kind of was, I've been flipping through that list of, of masterpieces inventions multiple times basically like once or twice a week i look through it just to kind of keep an eye on things lightning greaves at this point is on my radar you can pick up copies for right around 45 online you can probably find them a little cheaper if you pester people locally um lightning greaves is like one of the most played cards in modern according to metamox it is the one two not Mm -hmm. modern what's up EDH, I'm sorry, yeah, it is the one, two, three, four, five, six most played card in EDH uh, on Metamox at nearly 20,000 decks. Um, so a very popular card. There's a million printings, but this one is awesome looking. Uh, so given that we know Soul Rings have sold over $200, uh, you know, Lightning Greaves at 45 uh, so paying $100 for this seems like something people will do. So I think there's a pretty good pretty good opportunity here. I picked up a playset earlier today, but there's still uh, definitely copies available. Even if it only hits 60 to 80, that's a solid, a solid gain. Um, and again, because we know that the uh, Masterpiece series is not being extended to be in every Magic set, that puts the entire... Um, roster of expeditions, invocations, and masterpieces um, back on the table as more exciting specs um, because they're going to be more special, more rare. Um, it also puts uh, uh, the sealed product for these sets back on the table as much more interesting than the rest of the sealed product because down the road, once we're past um, the ability for dealers to restock at wholesale costs, the um, value of the cards in the set decouple from the expected value that is added by the masterpieces expeditions etc and those boxes are going to rise okay yeah so it's that's interesting too um you know how much that'll be how much that could improve box prices uh yeah there we go so it looks like you have another masterpiece yourself uh what are you looking at for this week the other one that you, you pointed out to me before the cast and um, that is at extremely low supply on TCG is the Mox Opals in and around 140 to 150 seemed like a slam dunk to hit 200 given how low supply is now. Um, if you had any thinking that you were going to upgrade your affinity deck to include these or your lantern control deck or whatever, I do not wait. Like this, We're seeing this over and over again. The, the inventions are not going to be like the expeditions. It's not in 100% clear why, but they just aren't. They're, they're going to be like... Eight to ten of the of the masterpieces that are going to spike this year. Um, we've already see, seen Soul Ring go off, uh, Chalice of the Void, Engineered Explosives. Um, I suspect that Mox Opal, Mana Crypt, Mana Vault, all of these are going to get there um, sooner or later. The supply just isn't that high. These are very, very rare cards, much rarer than they seemed when they first came out. Um, and especially the ones that are in Aether Revolt um, are, say, 40% even more rare than the ones in Kaladesh, just given how much that uh, a small set in the winter sells versus the fall set, um, all of which equals great specs. Okay. 
Uh, I, yeah, I like it too. Um, certainly next in the Chalice Engineer Explosives line of things. Okay, so let's move on and look at the Vegas Modern and Legacy events. Uh, Modern was certainly the more interesting of the two. We saw a blue-black taking turns deck in the top eight, which is what? <laughs> um, it was so that was unique. very amusing hearing uh, LSV talking through <laughs> the, his surprise at uh, how deep this deck went in the tournament. Um, for people that weren't watching, this was running uh, all sorts of spiciness. Uh, it was the, the usual taking extra turn stuff, time warps, temporal masteries, part the water veil, and then giga drowse and exhaustion um, as you know virtual turns by shutting down what your opponent can do. Um, cryptic command also in that slot. One common deer uh, in the main deck. Uh, and one in the sideboard. This is the blue spell from Cold Snap that costs seven, but you can remove two blue cards in your hand from the game rather than pay Commandeer's mana cost, and you gain control of target non-creature spell, and you can choose new targets for it. Um, so that's a super expensive uh, way to be using that effect, but the thing is that once this deck gets rolling, it has so many cards in hand, it basically means nothing. And the whole idea here is that you get Howling Mine ideally out on turn two or Dictative Crufix, and you just start... Um, drawing all sorts of cards and taking extra turns, and you basically lock your opponent out of the game long enough to awaken one of your lands, sometimes just a regular land, sometimes an Ink Moth Nexus, and you swing a couple times on your extra turns to put them away. It, this is really, I'm sure, the dream of many FNM player around the country who so wish that this strategy was uh, semi-viable. And here you go, top eight at AGP. I mean, I, I you know, I kind of wondered, did he just get like obscenely lucky, or uh, or what? You know, like did it, it was a deck actually good? I think this is this is basically the first time that Lantern won. And it's like, well, wait, is it good? Or did the guy just get really lucky? Like, we don't know yet. We need people to play this and kind of report back and tell us what we're looking at here. Um, you know, from a from a financial perspective, I think there is basically um, probably like one good, one really good pick here if anything was going to move. Uh, other than that, you'll see some minor movement on the other stuff. The problem, you know, you could see like time warp move, but... Most of the time walk spells were either just for printed or are already kind of expensive. Uh, I kind of like the Dictate of Cruffix game day promo out of everything here. Um, so if this is a deck that you're interested in, you're like, I wonder what card that will make move, that would be my choice. Uh, a lot of people don't even remember they had a game day promo, but it does. It's pretty cool looking, and the card is already Howling Mine, which is pretty popular as it is. I have a bunch of those sitting around, but I also like Time Warp. Um, it hasn't been reprinted since Magic 2010. There's a Judge promo out there. Um, overall, supply is very low. If you had 50 or 100 players pick up this deck and they needed how many copies of Time Warp? Uh, uh, probably three or four. four. So, four, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, if, if 50 or 60 people decide they need four Time Warps, then the, the supply goes to basically nothing overnight. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it wouldn't. I guess I just was looking for lower hanging fruit. <laughs> but I think Time Warp is definitely possible. Yeah. Um, so uh, Smallpox, too, over in the top 16. Don't see that. Do well very often. I uh, see getting Ally of Zendikar moving in. So he's he's pretty clearly made his presence in modern felt at this point. Um, I think he's going to kind of keep showing up over and over. You know, we've got like 
Liliana the Veil uh, and Nahiri are two of the most played Planeswalkers in Modern, and Gideon could end up kind of in the top five, I would say. This is why I keep telling people to buy Russian boxes of standard product and get to know the cards and suck up the not being able to read them, because my box of Battle for Zendikar had a foil Russian Gideon, and I suspect that that will be a two or $300 card at some point. Um, and there's like literally no downside because you can get them for the same price, especially in the Midwest where stores have trouble unloading them. My Russian box of Aether Revolt has Russian Fatal Pushes, which I suspect are going to be 30 to $40 cards at some point. And yeah, I mean, Gideon, um, so much more powerful than people originally realized. Um, I, he was even played in some of the, a couple of legacy decks that, that were showing up at the event. Um, so a very powerful card. Um, a card I thought originally would show up in Modern, but maybe as a one of. But here we have a deck in the top 16 that was running three copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the main deck, too. So certainly some some good play. Um, so Affinity wins. Affinity, that's an odd one to see win. Uh, it's been a long time since Affinity won, actually. Um, and, and, this, but and this is the version running like four there. Galvanic block. Blast and and uh, Master of Ethereum uh, and some a couple of Memnites, right? Like this isn't necessarily the most modern build, um, uh, but the card that jumps out to me here that I'm going to talk about next week is Spire of Industry. Um, foils of that card are go- likely to be staples in any and all artifact decks moving forward, and I think it's something we should have an eye on. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Hate Mayor popped up. Two of them in the top eight. Um, no, I don't love anything in that deck at this point. I think. It's all been around for so long. Uh, I'd have to look at... I haven't looked at the supply lately, but I want to take a look at Mirren Crusader because if you look at the Craig Wesco list that finished seventh, he was running four Mirren Crusader main as opposed to one main in the second place deck um, on the basis that pro green and pro black are pretty awesome when you're facing down Tarmogoyfs and Death Shadows. Yeah, I... Th- well, also, I think that this is... Pr- yeah, I th- I mean, Fatal Push, sure. I suspect that this is primarily in response to Death Shadows popularity um, and Fatal Push in second place. So, I mean, maybe Fatal Push is enough. Like, I can see Death Shadow kind of fading from the format eventually, whether because it gets banned or things kind of adapt. But I don't see Fatal Push going anywhere. So maybe that alone is enough to make Mirren Crusader a better card. It has been a while now, and it's only got one printing. So a big part part of this is that because everything's been reorientating away from uh, red, like Lightning Bolt's hardly being played in the format. Um, Other than the burn list that was in the top eight, pretty much nobody else had any Lightning Bolts. Um, oh, they just put Mirren Crusader in the Modern Masters 2015. Ugh. That's not that. That's relatively far back. I mean, I would look at foils before non-foils, certainly, if it was in Modern Masters 2015. Um, but you know, and I would keep an eye on how how it, whether the curve stretches out. If you got a bunch, like how much are how much are the copies right now for the foils? Uh, looks like you can grab them at five before shipping, but there's only five vendors. On TCG for the pack foil. Uh, let's see. Modern Masters. There's going to be a lot more. There's 12 vendors, but they're like $3. And there's a buy box promo, but there's 82 copies of the buy box promo. I, for, uh, fortunately, fortunately the buy box promo is the ugliest art possible. So I don't see anybody buying those. Really? I like it more than the original really? one. Like it's, no it's a little way. lighter, so it's easier to see, and it's 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 funky. It's not like great, but it's funky. It's like 16-year-old like sketches in the back of the classroom ugly. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's great. I just think that it's more distinct 
than the other one. How about that? I, the, these foils, even the Modern Masters 2015 ones, are in relatively low supply. I, I would argue that if any any amount of people go after this, like this could be a $10 foil, no problem. Yeah, I would say that going back and looking at them now, I hadn't really paid much attention before um, before now. They're better looking than I thought they were. <laughs> I'll give you that. Fair. So we had a burn deck. That was the kind of standard issue stuff you would expect. Nothing super exciting there. Um, the... Uh, over in the Legacy Tournament, um, anything jump out at you? No, because Legacy's dead and who cares? <laughs> Death and Taxes won that one in the hands of Andrew Calderon. This was uh, uh, also running Mirren Crusaders um, because you're facing down uh, Leovold and uh, Tarmogoyfs and Deathrite Shamans and so forth in that format. Um, also running two Recruiter of the Guard, two Sarah Avenger, a card you don't see all that much of, uh, Spirit of the Labyrinth, uh, four Stone Forge Mystic and four Thalia Garden of Thraben, um, four Aether Vile, uh, another masterpiece uh, that people should have their eyes on. Um, you know, pretty pretty stock deck for the most part. Um, the Blue Red Delver deck that finished second had two Bedlam Reveler in the main. <laughs> and three storm chaser sure. mage in legacy okay that's pretty interesting and it is i don't think it's gonna I, I just don't think any of this is gonna matter for pricing but it is interesting i suppose well we, we've seen that Le- that cards in legacy can still drive prices right i mean leovold is dead in edh it's banned um uh but it's playable in legacy and and the foils are what two hundred dollars uh, there's something insane, although, yeah, I, I, whatever. I'm not saying it never happens. I guess it, for me, the format as a whole is just sort of like, eh, there's so much other stuff going on that I'd rather just maybe occasionally people will spec on cards and they'll do fine in Legacy. It's just not worth the risk to me at this point. Yeah, fair enough. They're also going to be le- they're also going to be less liquid because there's just fewer buyers essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gurmag Angler showed up in a few of these lists. Uh, foils of that card have um, been pretty steady in and around the like six to ten dollar range. I suspect at some point they dry dry up and go up to like fifteen because I don't think Delve cards are getting reprinted anytime soon. Uh, no, no, that's got to be a nine on the storm scale. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's an innocuous card. I remember buying those foils at a dollar, um, and they've made me some good money. Um, and I think I've got a, like, maybe a double fistful left, um, and I suspect they will make more money down the road. Okay. Um, yeah, so anything else you want to talk about in the metagame here? Uh, I think it's just worth pointing out that Modern continues to look like it's in a super healthy place. Um, uh, you know, the, Despite my belief that Wizards uh, continues to reorientate away from that format, um, there's very little doubt that it is tremendously better uh, situated in terms of player enjoyment and interesting uh, you know uh, interesting state of the metagame than say standard is yes modern really has been the richest format i think um, in terms of play experience and variety and viability for a while now standard is almost always worse off and as much as the legacy of aficionados like to claim that is uh amazing it it not tends uh doesn't tend to be like better in terms of variety than modern uh maybe now that miracles is banned but before that it really was not so yeah I, I, modern's a really great place to be um i you know i, I kind of want like a modern pro tour again but i understand why they got rid of it to begin with so eh, whatever we'll see but it is i would do wish we saw a little more high-level modern play in general. Well, now, uh, but I get now it. that the Pro Tours are decoupled from set releases uh, starting next year, um, we could easily get a modern. Yep, yep. 
that was part of the announcement cycle that I, I, maybe you were on the road. Um, the pro tours are no longer uh, the week after or two weeks after release. They're going to be at indefinite times that could be up to six weeks after release. The idea being the idea being that um, uh, they want formats to seem less solved. So it, at least that's the assumption. Um, so we'll see how all of that plays out. And I think there's room in that new and exciting world for either modern uh, to come back as a pro tour or for them to experiment with some kind of who knows something else. I, I hesitate to say like one V one commander um, because there's all sorts of issues with trying to make a large scale uh, competitive commander format, even if it's one V one. But I suspect they're going to be experimenting in the coming years. I'll, let's leave it at that. Sure. Uh, okay. So let's move on to segment four, our topic of the week. Um, let's see. We talked about solemnity a little bit. We explained what the card does. Uh, you know, what else is going on with that? Um, what other cards have caught your attention? You know, we talked about Celestial Convergence earlier as having spiked. Um, your pick of the week was Phyrexian on Life because it combos with that. Uh, at the, where, what else do you see? At the this? assistance uh, or the insistence of our friend Jason Alt, I picked up a bunch of Decree of Silence and Decree of Silence foils because that card now in EDH right, reads 6-2 blue, your opponents never cast another spell. Yep. Yep, I did grab a couple of those myself, I think. Because it comes into play with three depletion counters. So in theory, it's supposed to counter the next three spells, but with Solemnity, it comes in with zero counters on it, which just means you counter every spell forever and everyone hates you. That is a real dick thing to do, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, I wonder how often you're going to see somebody like play a, a Academy Rector, clone it, and then, you know... Wrath the board with the supreme verdict. Fetch those two enchantments, plop them in the play, and be like, "Okay, game is over." You know, just all of a sudden they're both there at the same time. Solemnity foils are going to go up on Star City Games at nine ninety nine, would be my guess, and sell out. And then they're going to push them up to fourteen ninety nine, and they're probably going to sell out again. And they're going to get to twenty, and I'm going to laugh and sell through the ones that I bought at ten. And then it's going to come way back down by end of summer because it's hopefully not going to show up as any part of part of any kind of broken combo in modern since there aren't any really huge modern major modern events upcoming um and hopefully we get a window of opportunity where the foils get nice and low under ten dollars so we can stack them away for the future because god has there I, I can't think of a card with better open and its energy as i said earlier it is a certainly a distinct card that does a lot and way more than people realize at first glance i also wonder some of that by the way is not positive um this does turn on your opponent's malira combo like if you play this in your deck as part of like some combo or whatever uh and they have viseraseer and kitchen finks in play they just like go off they don't actually need because it's all yeah, creatures yeah. not just yours. You, you give a give um, them a helping hand into the combo Right, right, right. So there is a little bit of double-edged sword there, but it is it is very unique, and you, we're kind of realizing stuff the more more we look as a community. You're like, oh, I guess that does work, and that doesn't work, and what have you. Uh, so it, it, I do wonder if someone will find a two-card combo out there um, that breaks it. It doesn't sound like it's been found yet, at least in that's modern legal, but it could come. It also is one of those cards that kind of like, okay, well, now every card that gets printed with counters, we kind of just got to look at it and go, well, what happens if you can't have counters? Um, you know, what does that do? So there's certainly a possibility of some interesting stuff out there. Um, you know, we could get something resembling Death Shadows where they're, you know, one mana 13 13s, but they come and play with 12 minus one minus one counters or something, right? Uh, would suddenly be really good. Um, so it, it definitely has some some 
wild applications, even if they're not all there yet. I just realized that energy are counters that players get. So so this shuts off the energy decks completely. Yeah, that, I mean, this was clearly intended for to go after Marvel as well, um, or just to keep like or just to keep energy in check in general, deck. right? In case yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it was. Yes, it was a release valve for both energy and green black, you know, which is funny because I could have sworn they said, well, we used to print the release valves, these sort of answer card, narrow answer cards in the set after that we put the the question. Essentially, they'd print they'd print Marvel and then they'd wait a couple months and print the answer to Marvel. So the Marvel has time to work unimpeded. And then they're like, well, we stopped doing that because then you get months at a time where these cards just wreak havoc. So we're going to start printing them in the same set so that you don't have that period of the card just wreaking havoc. Like there's always this out, but now they did it again and they pushed Solemnity out to what? To two sets later before they printed it. I don't know why this wasn't in Kaladesh. No, no, you can't print this in Kaladesh because then nobody builds an energy deck in standard ever. Well, then it's just rock, paper, scissors. It's like nobody's playing energy. Or people are playing energy, so we play Solemnity, which drives the energy decks out of the format, which means people stop playing Solemnity so you can go back and play it again. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, but that's the way all those cards work, right? Like, that's supposed to be the intention. I, I think that those those cards work a lot better when they're not a hard stop, like, brick wall. They're like, they, they make, they add play to the game by making you play around them. This just kind of, like, makes it a pointless endeavor to have energy cards in your deck at all because they all lose their power level, like it drops right through the floor. Well, I would agree that Great Sable Stag provided a little more play to sure, the various matchup sure. than Solemnity would to Aether Works Marvel. Yeah. So what do you think about these uh, uh, the three uh, freshly revealed gods? Um, these are the evil gods that have been, that are working with uh, Nicol Bolas and the, on Amonkhet that the other gods had forgotten even existed. Well, I think, um, you know, kind of running through them, I think Scarab God is the most interesting possibly in EDH. Um, but maybe not. I, maybe he, I just like him because he works well with my city C deck. Um, kind of a straightforward ability, but it does. Uh, it is pretty powerful. Um, getting to nail your opponents for multiple life, every upkeep and fix your draw is pretty good. Uh, let's see so, the other gods. So on, I that, know the locust god. Hold on, let's let's back up and tell people what that is. The scarab god is a five five for three blue black uh, legendary creature god. At the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses X life, and you scry X, where X is the number of zombies you control. So if this comes onto the battlefield and you've got three zombies, at the beginning of each turn, your opponent, uh, each opponent loses three life, and you scry three. <laughs> And then for two right. blue black, you exile target creature from any graveyard and create a token that's a copy of it. So you basically get uh, that hyper embalm, uh, the new mechanic from uh, Hour of Devastation. Uh, what's it called? Externalize. Um, uh, and it, the only di- eternalize. Uh, eternalize. Not externalize. Eternalize. Like eternal. right. So you take any creature from any graveyard, put it into play. You get all of the comes comes into play abilities and so forth. But it's a four four black zombie. And then again, like all the other gods in this set, uh, if it dies, you return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. Um, I find it hard to believe that won't be a huge build around an EDH. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh, you know, it's it's straightforward. It's not particularly creative, but it's effective. I like the card. Um, another, the other god is a locust god, the blue red one. Uh, this one's pretty good. It's a four four flyer, uh, and whenever you draw a card, you make a one one flying insect token with haste. So I'm pretty sure there are infinite combo. I mean, I'm positive there are infinite combos there. So you can essentially, you know, if you have beck in play, or if you trigger beck or glimpse, 
uh, glimpse of nature, you know, whenever a creature comes to play, draw a card. And then you just like, okay, I drew a card, so an insect comes into play, so I draw a card, so an insect comes into play, like blah, blah, blah. So um, that can do some wild stuff. And even things, you know, you don't have to go infinite. You can play stuff like um, Frantic Search and Thirst for Knowledge and Brainstorm and all that type of stuff really triggers the Locust God. So I know people were excited about that one. He also seems a little better in Standard than Scarab God does, but he does die to, uh, wait, not Fatal Push. He dies to something that matters. What is it? Do you remember? He dies of something. It's in standard? Yeah. Hmm. I swear there was something that killed him that mattered. Like, the four toughness matters. No, not off the top of my head. But, I mean, I believe I believe that he is okay. relatively fragile in that format. I'm more concerned with what he's going to do in EDH. The, um, the other thing that jumped out at me is fraying sanity. Um, this is the enchantment or a curse where you curse a player, two and a blue, and it's basically a mill card that says at the end of each end step, enchanted player puts the top X cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard, where X is the number of cards put into the graveyard into the, that graveyard from anywhere this turn. So basically, you hit them with Glimpse the Unthinkable, they put 10, and at the end of the turn, they put another 10. Um, I think that this replaces Sphinx's tutelage in mill decks and modern and maybe makes them better possibly doesn't this also kill them with traumatize uh like you traumatize them for half the deck and then at the end of the turn you redo that that's that's there's your two card combo boys (laughs) (laughs) in the middle deck that can never quite get there um yeah exactly so i like this uh hostile desert there was a bunch of like interesting desert cards uh that tap for colorless mana, and this one, two exile a land card from your graveyard, and this land becomes a 3-4 elemental creature. Um, that's a relatively low cost that might make, have an impact all the way back to Legacy, yeah? It's possible, for sure. I mean, uh, it's been a while, I think, since we've had a colorless creature land, right? I don't think we see those too often. Um, and it's not a terribly expensive cost either. I guess the hardest part in standard, at least, is going to be getting lands into your graveyard. In modern, that's obviously a much easier condition to fulfill. But I, the appeal of the three, four, um, and a land that makes colorless is less so. It almost seems like this is more likely to hit in standard and legacy than it is in modern. I mean, in legacy creatures aren't particularly big right now, right? You got a lot of like one twos and and one one death touches and like what's leable the three three. Um, yeah, that tends to be the way legacy goes in general. Is their creatures are not particularly threatening, unless they're uh, in terms unless of they came in off show and tell or Eureka or whatever. But the right, right, they're either huge or they're tiny. Right, and so I mean, the fact that any format where fetch lands are involved, I'm interested in seeing how this 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 card plays out. And obviously, in decks that can afford um, to run colorless cards, um, the fact that this has the upside but doesn't come in tapped, um, you know, whereas a lot of utility lands come into play tapped to make up for the fact that they're better by default than basic lands um, is certainly worth noting because it can be activated to block on the, the turn after you play it, like on your opponent's next turn. Um, uh, Crook of Condemnation is interesting. Uh, two casting costs, one tap, exile target card from a graveyard, one exile it, exile all cards from all graveyards. So some graveyard hate that might find a spot somewhere at some point. Um, I like Mirage Mirror. I mean, this card is crazy. Um, talk about your open-ended synergies, right? It's a three casting cost artifact. For two, you can make it a copy of target artifact creature or enchant- enchantment or land until end of turn. I mean, that's right up there with Solemnity. It's very unique, and but I have to make a point here uh, because I missed it at first, and I think a lot of people do as well. It does not keep the ability. So 
you pay two, it may, mirror becomes a copy of something, and then that's it. You don't get to do it again that turn. You have to wait until next turn. So you can stack the activations if you have a ton of mana, but you already have to basically have infinite mana. So it is very useful, but like your like wild combos are stifled a little bit by the fact that you can't keep changing it. Because I was like, oh, well, okay, so you copy something like Mana Vault or basalt monolith or something like that and then like you switch it over to a voltaic key and like so you can kind of go semi-infinite with that but it doesn't work i mean it doesn't get any comes into play abilities either because it's already in play but there are so many potential targets right that the foils i'm going to be stockpiling these foils i just know i will be because that it gives all your creatures pseudo haste for two mana which alone is pretty decent yeah and and just anybody who's threatening you with anything if this is on the table and they don't have artifact uh, kill that they can afford to spend this is a rattlesnake right like because you're going to block with the same thing they're attacking with and it's going to die so uh yeah I, I love this card long term for edh i have i have suspicions that it can do nasty nasty things in modern as well um but i haven't thought through what those things will be yet combos with dark depths yep and legacy mm-hmm. i got really i was like oh my god this is a big deal i was like is, is dark depths finally playable in modern and then somebody pointed out that that card <laughs> is banned in modern um, like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's why we're not playing it. The, the <laughs> one card I do want to talk about is uh, Razaketh the Foul-Blooded. Um, this is the new Gristle brand, essentially. Um, it's 8 mana for an 8-8 Flying Trample. Uh, this is one of the demons that Liliana is beholden to. Uh, but the important text here is that it's pay to life, sacrifice another creature, Demonic Tutor. Um which is extremely powerful. I mean, two life and another body for a Demonic Tutor is nuts. Uh, there's a reason Demonic Tutor is like a $25 card and tutoring in general is so powerful. This card is really good. I think that this is like near bannable in EDH almost immediately. Uh, you know, other players who are more tuned with the format will know better than I am. And I'm not saying it will be banned immediately, but the power level on this is such that I would be concerned. Um, I would tread cautiously in regards to this card i'm assuming that one of the decks we're talking about is kalia right because kalia can get this into into play on turn like four or five i mean it doesn't it really does not matter which one you play right like you can play kalia and yes you can cheat it in the play you can play two mana rocks and something that makes a couple dudes and you cast this (laughs) for you just pay the full eight drop it in the play and suddenly demonic tutor four times with your four tokens um i mean it's just you know tutoring in edh is ridiculous because you have such a big choice of cards to choose from so uh yeah there's a lot of ways to get this guy in the play and he just does not seem healthy to me what do you think about uncage the menagerie the green card that was spoiled today oh that's really interesting this is this you kind of have to part it takes a couple times to parse this to understand it so it searches for it's double green and x search your card library for up to x creature cards with different names that all have converted monocost X. So for instance, what this really wants you to do is build your deck with like 20 different, 20 unique cards with converted monocost too, basically. So you want to play Rune Claw Bear and Ash Claw Bear and Grizzly Bear and, uh, you know, all of those types of cards. And you want like one or two copies of each of them so that you can tutor a ton of them. So it's a really unique deck building restriction. It also allows you to do things like technically you could pay three mana for Uncaged Menagerie and draw like 20 cards because you can search up the 20 different one drops in your deck. You know, I don't think that's really going to happen, but it does represent the ability for green. Let me me interrupt you right there and back you up because this thing is hard to parse. You don't get 20 one drops. If it's a one drop, you get one. 
it's X creature cards with different names that each have converted mana yeah. cost X. So that's one creature card with different names. So if you cast it for one, you only get one creature. If you cast it for two, if you cast it for four, you get two, two, oh, you get two, okay. two drops. I read that wrong. Yeah, every, See, there every, you go. Yeah, everybody, go. everybody's reading it wrong. So, so let me, let me interject that. The card's still good. It's another dubious challenge. I, I actually think this card's better than people think it is. Um, if you're getting two drops, you cast it for four, you get two, two drops. So that's the instant devoted druid Vizira remedies combo in modern. What, wait, so what is it you do? Two mana for two, two and get, you get two, two casting cost creatures of two different names. Yeah, and what did you say those two were? Remedies and, and Devoted Druid. That's instant. Oh, and, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was... And if it's on three, you get three, three drops. If it's on four, so you paid six, it's four, four drops. And they have to be different. So you can on five, you can do things like get um, Kiki Jiki with God knows how much other broken stuff and combo off six different ways from Sunday. Um, now the, the biggest disadvantage of this card is actually that it's not instant speed. So you can't do it end of turn like you can with court of calling or a collected company. And that's going to be the big, I think, measuring stick, balancing it off against other, uh, those two options, which have already proven themselves time and again. Um, but I suspect that if this card doesn't do partic- uh, spectacularly well in standard, which I suspect it won't, there's going to be an opportunity to pick up these foils for modern because if people don't find combo, find a reason to play this in the short term, I certainly believe they will in the long term. Um, and in EDH, it does all sorts of craziness um, once you get up to yeah. a lot of mana, right? Well, sure. Although, I mean, I don't think anyone's activating this where X is seven, because what are you going to do with seven, seven, sevens in your hand? Like, that's Wait. not useful, but like four, four, fours is good. Oh, yeah. I guess they come to your. I, sorry, I forgot that they come to your hand. So you and I have both found ways to, to fuck up interpreting this card <laughs> in the same conversation, which leads me to believe cards that are that hard to evaluate are often better than they appear. Yeah, I'm sure everyone is laughing at us and enjoying it. So you're welcome. It's, it's all the same mistakes. Uh, I'm sure you wrote perfectly the first time too. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's all the same mistakes I've already saw people make on Twitter today and thought dummies, and then mm. went ahead and made them again yeah. anyway. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So I think claim the fame is an interesting card. This is the modern legal unearth. Uh, it's now it re- returns creature cards with monocost two instead of three, so it's a little smaller. But good news, Death Shadow is only one. Um, so it seems real good in that deck also because the other half of it allows you to just give the thing haste. So uh, that seems pretty potent in Death Shadow decks at the very least. And this may have some additional application in the format as well. Um, probably do some wacky stuff. I'll be looking to see some of the modern brewers put out lists that lean on claim to fame. And potentially legacy, right? Because Unearth is clearly better there. Uh, I think Reed Duke was running two Unearths in his legacy deck uh, at Vegas um in the sultai good stuff that runs like death ray shaman leovold uh bill full strix etc um unearth clearly better uh but claim to fame in the grixis build of death shadow where we're no longer uh running tarmogoyfs um we're running uh you know the red so that we can um potentially cast the fame side that's certainly exciting to me yeah, I actually just saw this while we were recording out of the corner of my eye on Twitter. Uh, Grixis, um, Death Shadow deck that runs the Four Shadows, uh, has four Kiln Fiends. So, I mean, that kind of gives you the option to, like, claim the Kiln Fiend back in the play and then Fame and then, like, you know, Monomorphos or whatever and kill them out of nowhere. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what... Sl- thing in the ice, too. I'm not sure what <laughs> slots they're willing to give up here because, like, currently the Grixis build is only Grixis because it runs two Terminate and two Coligans command main, and then out of the board they usually have an Is It Static Caster, a Dreadbore, 
um, and a couple of Anger of the Gods. But Let me tell you the, the list that I'm looking at. It's four Death Shadow, four Thing in the Ice, four Kiln Fiend, four Monomorphos, four Serum Visions, two Sleight of Hand, two Street Wraith, two Stubborn Denial, two Apostle Blessing, four Thought Seize, four Teamer Battle Rage, four Mutagenic Growth, and then some Lightning Bolts and a Noxious Revival. So it's a different build, I think, than we've seen out of some of them. It's a, It goes back to that old, like, get them dead real quick strategy. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Claim to Fame doesn't have an, a, an immediate obvious home, um, but bringing creatures back into play and not back to your hand is an effect we don't get very often, so I would definitely be trying to think through where you're going to put that to work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've been going for quite a while now. Uh, is there any last thoughts you want to get in before we wrap up this? Just week? one more card um, that I want to go over. Reason to Live. Uh, this is the split card uh, where the first half of it is one blue for Scry 3 as a sorcery. That is deceptively powerful card selection, potentially good enough for modern, especially because the backside of it is live four and a green sorcery. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, you may reveal it and put it onto the battlefield. So that's a show and tell for modern folks. I don't have anything to add here because I don't know anything about this. Yeah, uh, I, 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 you have to be able to manage the top of your deck to the extent. It was a joke, James. I don't know. I don't know anything about reason to live. It was a joke. Ah, uh-huh. come on. It is. Yes, it is an interesting card. Uh, <laughs> you, you've, uh, been, yeah. you've been hanging out so, with Jeremy too much. The, if you're going to bring that kind of humor to the cast, it's not a pun. It's not a pun. All <laughs> right. That was a little deeper than that. It is cool. It, it is cool. Uh, I mean, it does allow you to slam Emeralds in the play for five mana, but modern kind of already has that, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I again, one of these cards that has a high power level, unclear where it goes. Uh, where it slots in and whether or not it requires fresh brewing, um, but certainly something I've got my eye on. I think this is better in moder- or in standard, actually, where there are not a lot of ways to cheat huge creatures in the play for the most part. Um, Marvel works aside. Uh, you still, you know, there's always going to be something big and fat for the most part floating around. Um, and then you can, it's easier to play other cards like uh, that other green one. Not Vizier of the Menagerie. Vizier of the Menagerie, I think. The one that allows you to just yeah. look at the top card of your library at all times. So like, you, you know, it kind of sets up your live a little bit better. So one last point before we, we head out for the day. Now that we have almost all of the invocations for this set revealed, what are your thoughts? Mm, it's good that they're pulling the plug on it in Ixalan. <laughs> there's like nothing. You know, they're, they're clearly on theme. Everyone's very upset that there's no cruel ultimatum. But to be fair, that doesn't really fit with the theme that they were going for here. Uh, although it does feel like a kind of a miss. I, I don't know. I think that the, the real gap here on these on these masterpieces is that there's not really a, a, a killer app, essentially. There's no one awesome card, right? Like, Inventions had several of them. You had Soul, Soul Ring alone would have been good enough, as would Mana Vault or Mana Crypt. Any one of those would have been able to carry Inventions on their own, um, and they got a, you know, got a lot. Obviously, Expeditions was the entire Fetchland cycle. But when we look at this, it's like, well, the first run might have had a card or two, but, like, what is what is the Hour of Devastation, like, chase masterpiece? Thought Seize, I guess? Like, I mean, you'll be able to get them for like a hundred bucks or something, but after that, it falls off really fast. I mean, choke, boil, doomsday, forbid, diabolic edict, sunder. Like, who wants any of these cards? Threads of the soil, Armageddon, Omni- like, there's just so many that are just like 
now nobody's really playing these you see the pop up in cubes and occasionally edh but that's about it so really underwhelming i think as a whole uh and plus you know you've got these frames that are not doing them any favors i, I think it's 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 good that we're seeing them take a step back in Ixalan. the problem here is top-down design that they they, st- they started with the theme and then made sure everything fit right um so the theme here was it's the hour of devastation so you know everything's got to be about things going drastically wrong and there was only so many cards that made sense to print uh, in that context. It's, wait, wait, wait. It's, it's, it's a meta application because it's supposed to be about things going terribly and going wrong and breaking. So they gave us terrible masterpieces and they're ending <laughs> them here. So really, it's, I mean, they, 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 it works on another level. I mean, the, the problem with that theme is that it, it in, incented all of the artists to um, depict more or less the same scenario with subtle differences, right? So, I mean, the art on Boyle could have also just been the right the art on Armageddon because it's it, the 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 um, scale of the art windows that are on these version these cards are, are so tiny versus the grandeur of a lot of this art. And there is some very fantastic art that's being underwhelmingly presented given the scale of these cards. Um, makes it just so hard to tell what you're playing against and. And I think it would have been a lot easier if instead of being on theme, they just picked good cards and then and then made fantastic um, art in frames where they could really show it off. I think Armageddon is not even the third most Armageddon-looking card in the masterpieces here. Yeah, I think you can, sw- you <laughs> I mean, can swap like, it for Boil. You can swap it for Sunder. You can... Omniscience is completely fine, sure. too. Yeah, there are several that, that work. Um, yeah, just not... Not great. Um, I don't even think the Thoughtseize art is particularly uh, compelling. Uh, it's got, it's very cartoony. I don't think people are going to be all that hot for it. Um, I can see the you know there being some action on Through the Breach for modern, some action on Omniscience, I guess, but not a lot. Like a lot of these cards are going to get dirt cheap, and if you want them in a couple of months, you're going to be able to find them relatively easily. Yeah, I could see myself picking up like a couple of the EDH-ish ones just like after, you know, six months or a year if the prices have kind of really gotten low just because they're distinct and different. But more like, a, oh, look at this card. Look at my Lord of Extinction. It's kind of ugly, isn't it? Not like, a, oh, I, I really love the way this looks. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I will say I will be really disappointed, though, if there are not masterpieces in the new unset. I'm, I'm curious. I think that there will be some kind of um spoof on masterpieces in that set that would make perfect sense um well they did they did they did the super secret tech on the one of them which is a card that only existed in foil and they did like alternate art for foils but yeah i would like to see more sure um i'm not excited about that set at all but cliff and i already covered that last week so all right let's i'm not i didn't get to talk about it at all i'm not excited about it either but i do you know i will say just one last thought i don't care for it it's not for me but i do appreciate that it exists and I'm glad that the people who want it have access to it. I guess I guess we'll see how how many boxes vendors get stuck with, and whether it has any cards that anybody cares about. The problem is that because the set's going to be silver bordered, um, it doesn't provide the same kind of opportunities as a set like Conspiracy does. Um, except that you have to assume we're going to get some fantastic full art lands that may end up being interesting. They actually uh, may go a different way with that, like. 
no art lands. Apparently somebody dug up a Tumblr post where somebody told Mark they wanted full border lands, I think it was. And he's like, if you can get me a third unset, I will give you your full border lands or something. So like people are like, wait, are they going to give us basics that don't have art? <laughs> like, go the other <laughs> or, direction. Or like there's a tiny little flower in the middle of a giant border that goes right into the middle. Yeah, like I, I, we, we don't know, right? Maybe they're not actually going to get away with any of that because they're going to be like, well, we can't actually throw it away like this i i would i would argue that fantastic lands has been the only reason those sets have ever sold very well um if at all and has is the only reason they're not like fallen empires prices um so you know i think there is going to be quite the expectation that if it's not full art lands it's going to have to be something equally attractive to the non like wacky part of the scene Right, right, right. And, and, you know, the reason they've done so well before is because those lands were so good, but now they're a lot less novel than they were in the past, too, right? Sure. So uh, one, one of our contacts on Twitter, by the way, I'm just going to, this is my last point of the night. Um, apparently, Steel Overseer has been targeted over in Europe and is climbing heavily. Oh, really? Like right now? The, the expedition, I mean, the masterpiece version. Huh. Okay. Well, good to know. We'll see how that plays out. All right, okay. so that's a wrap for this week. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I write every Monday here on MTG Price. Uh, I'm on Cartel Aristocrats as well, which is usually Monday afternoons. And if you like playing Magic, check out Scry.land, find Magic in your area. You guys can find me on Twitter at usual as usual at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, I'd also like to point out that the MTG Price site is going through a transition this week from one server environment to the other. So if you notice anything wacky, just assume it's going to be, it might be that way for a few days while we sort things out. Um, this is all setting up so that we can upgrade a bunch of fun- functionality in the near future so that by the end of summer, we all have the tools um, working in a very dialed fashion um, that will benefit everybody uh, to a greater extent. So patience, cool bear with us. All right. Well, I had uh, it was a great show, James. I enjoyed our time together. Another quick and expedient episode. Um, I will. Uh, I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.